Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly roundup for the week ending 30th of September 2022. The news this week has been dominated by the economic fallout from Kwasi Kwarteng's mini budget, if mini is the correct way to describe it. But in our post this week, we looked at the government's plan through our Green Edge lens for assurance that the net zero ball isn't going to be dropped in the rush for growth. Michael. And I think one of the big issues we want to try and pick up on is the potential disconnect between macro policy and the framework and funding and what is happening on the ground. And in the post, we try to link the growth plan with local activities in the LSIP world that is trying to put together detailed plans. And our concern is that we need to have a really firm connect between the LSIPs and what they're emerging from their work and the government direction of travel. And hopefully this connection will happen over the coming few months. Otherwise, I think a lot of the good effort at local level will be lost. And in this week's post, we also feature a briefing report from the Sainsbury charity Ashton. The report is called Retrofit, Solving the Skills Crisis, and it describes some of the good work being done in pockets around the country to skill up for the retrofit revolution. But Ashton says that without a proper national skills plan, current forecasts show that we will fall far short of training the estimated 400,000 retrofit professionals that we need in the UK. This week, we also talked to Cara Jenkinson of Ashton, who told us more. The primary audience for the briefing was actually local authorities themselves. There's a secondary audience of national policymakers too. But it was really to show, you know, this is the good work that's starting. These are the levers that you have, because local authorities very much work in a pack. And if they see other people that are doing it, then they feel more confident to try things themselves that don't necessarily like being first movers, unless you're Portsmouth, uh, or perhaps <laughs> Greater Manchester, that, who, 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 who just, yeah, they, they, they just do their thing. Um, so I think really just demonstrating that what, what is possible, the quick wins, like just getting their own handy person teams able to do draft proofing or whatever, just the simple stuff that they can do straight away. So then working with their colleges to work out, you know, where's the training being provided? Are all the colleges looking to provide the same courses? Or how can we work at a regional level to say, right, this college is going to focus on this and this? Yeah. So looking at that, you know, where where is the skills gap? What is the provision now? Where are the gaps in provision? Then looking at the whole procurement side of things and how they can use that as a lever, as I've mentioned. And then thinking about their work with schools as well uh, and and with community groups. And then what what can they offer to their SMEs? Because actually... There is quite a lot of good training material out there that's uh, that's either pretty cheap or free. There's a lot of training videos on retrofit. There's you know there's an increasing amount of stuff. So if they can do signposting, and increasingly authorities are working with their businesses on that kind of low carbon transition, then then that's good too. So the idea really was primarily for local authorities to say these are some practical step- steps that you can take. But it's under no illusions that without proper national government policy, they are going to be limited in what they can do. And a reminder that you can find this week's post on the Green Edge website at greenedge.substack.com. Auditel is a cost procurement and carbon solutions company that says on its website that with its help, 
companies can potentially self-fund their net zero journey, or even become more profitable through cost removal and cost transformation. One of the levers for this is the past 2060 carbon neutrality standard, and late last week we had an interesting talk with John Gerard of Auditel about where past 2060 sits alongside other standards like ISO. What we see is a lot of companies have got 14,001. Virtually everybody has got 9,001. A lot of companies have got 27,001 as well. Uh, and, and quite a few of them knew nothing about carbon. But it just goes to show you what ISO is. ISO is framework policy and procedures. That's it. As long as you've got the policies, you don't have to have any data to back them up. And this is what I this is what I explained to people. I said, so you've got this. I said, what what have you put in on the environmental impact? And they make up some words and they stick it in there. Because I think it's section 6.2.1, I think it is, of ISO, which is basically what PAS 2060 feeds into and informs into so that you can say, this is my environmental impact now, and this is what it's planned to be going forward. So it makes it, it, makes it have some meaning. I think, no, without, without that, it basically has no meaning. We are going to reduce our waste and we're going to do this. It's a policy statement. That's all it is, which is, which is the, the sort of what I would say is the weakness of ISO. Without data, there doesn't really mean a lot. And that's what PAS 2060 does. It does, you know, it fits into other, I mean, there's this SBTI, Science-Based Target Initiative. And that, that to me is almost, it's, it's, it's almost a little bit more, but it's almost sort of, it's ISO-esque, for want of a better expression. It's not ISO, but it does drive you towards something. But PAS 2060 fits very well with that. So you can do PAS 2060 and you can use that as your SBTI statement. This is how I'm going to do it. So... It fits in, Part 2060, because it's a carbon neutrality statement, fits into so many things. And because it demands a year-on-year -year reduction, it logically leads you towards net zero. So if you follow Part 2060 all the way through, you will get to net zero. 100% guaranteed. Take you a long time. Any business is going to take a long time. But if you follow it through, it will lead you to net zero. So although it's not a net zero standard, by following it, you will get there because it's about... It's about reducing down your carbon as much as you possibly can. We will post further on our conversation with John, but briefly, on a deteriorating Zoom line, here's what he told us about some of the key skills required for companies acquiring PAS 2060 certification. If you take the general skills, to me, this is a, the general skills are about, it's about business analysis, yeah? So it's about looking at a business and understanding what that business process is, because generally what we'll do as part of our either the workshop, probably the workshop, uh, or carbon footprinting is we'll, we'll draw out a very sort of, I wouldn't say basic, but very visual business process model, which little cars on it and, you know, little, little factories and stuff like that, because it helps you really visualise that. So I think if you've got the skill set in, in terms of understanding business processes and BA work, business analysis work, I think that's one of the key, key skills. So, Michael, we're at the end of September and your reports roundup for the month goes out early next week. But this month, you've also been looking at other things like the Guardian's university rankings. Yes, it's always interesting looking at university rankings. Uh, this one for 2023 uh, ranks universities as overall institutions, but also ranks them by a series of by their degrees they offer as well, and degree programmes. In all, the Guardian Guide does 66 degrees, none of which are environmental science. But when you look at the degrees they offer and they do their analysis on, about 26 of them 
our core green feeder degrees into green occupations and careers, and a 10 further ones contribute to uh, an entry into a green career. But in the lack of uh, the Guardian looking for environmental science, we looked at four other rankings of universities based on environmental science. It might be geography and environmental science. And we then derived our own ranking based on that. And we'll post that probably on LinkedIn and we might do a post about it ourselves on the Substack system. But it was quite interesting that we took the top 35 universities and each of these four other rankings and only 20 universities appeared in all four rankings. And that's the listing we came up with. And you end up with Oxford at the top, Cambridge second, UCL third, Leeds fourth, Edinburgh fifth and the like. But it's really interesting that Imperial did not appear in all four lists. Neither did the LSE. But it's those sort of things. But it also feeds into our broader concern around actually understanding the flows of people in the green labour market to support the emergence of the green economy and the need for us to actually have some proper manpower modelling around this. And I think you've been in touch with The Guardian about this, haven't you, Michael? Yes, Rachel Hall, who's the editor um, of that guide, and we'll pick up with her with that next week when she gets back. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights. 